0: Those computer texts that you call in when you, whoops, I almost stepped off the edge here. Okay, so a couple of things. I've been out of town all week, okay, so, you know, that I've been on vacation for a whole week. But the week before I left, Aaron has said to me over and over again, when you stand on the edge of the platform like you do, you make me so nervous, I feel like I'm going to have to catch you, okay? Now, I've been here since, huh? That's why no, that, I thought it was just a spit zone, but then nobody wants to catch me. Um, so uh, anyway, um, that, that's the first time I've actually even teetered on the edge here. I like the edge. Uh, I've, I've always lived on the edge, and uh, it's okay. <laughs> I'm a little tired. Uh, I, I played too hard last week, and that's the honest truth, okay? Um, and here's another observation from, last, from being gone last week. It seems like every time I go away, something in the church gets painted. (laughs) Did you notice this morning? I came in this morning and I was like, wow, that is glorious. So I'm going away next week. I'm just going to give you a heads up. You know, whatever y'all want to paint, y'all go for it, okay? Kathy, thank you. In all seriousness, uh, uh, thank you for giving me the opportunity to take a week of vacation um, it's really, it's really refreshing to my soul. Now, I will confess to you that that I was gone for six days, and that for six days I have hunted. Okay, and that is that is the first time in my life that I've ever been able to hunt six days. I. I flew out of uh, Virginia uh, yesterday. I flew out of Dulles Airport yesterday evening so that I could hunt yesterday morning, okay? That's the way uh, I rolled, and uh, it was wonderful. I had a great time. I love the outdoors. I love being outside. Um, No, I did not kill a big deer, okay? I let a bunch of nice-sized deer, really big deer for Florida, uh, walk on by me. I let them go, didn't shoot, but on the other hand, I shot geese and rabbits and pheasant and ducks and had a great time, a fellowship with uh, Brian and Susie Brooks. Maybe you all know Brian and Susie. They are snowbirds. Uh, They'll be here in January, and for years, Brian has been saying to me, "Uh, you need to come up and and hunt. We have real deer in Virginia, (laughs) and I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I've just thought, yeah, he's just, you know, being nice or whatever. So he said it one too many times, and I said, I'm coming. And uh, uh, we I had a great week. Outdoors a lot this week. Um, and you know what? I have a new appreciation for Florida. It's cold up there. Um, I was in the woods every morning at sunrise. And um, I was in the woods every evening at sunset. And that does something to me. It's just a, a, a wonderful uh, time to be in the woods. And, and it's, it's always quiet. And uh, it's always a good time to reflect and to think. Um, flip up to the next slide, slide there, uh, Caleb. So we're talking about Galatians chapter 5 this morning. And we're going to talk about what controls you. As I was in the woods, this is not a picture of one of the trees I saw, but uh, have you ever seen a tree like that before? Saw trees like this a couple of places where part of the tree is just completely dead um, and uh, where the other part still got leaves and and still living and still um, moving ahead. And as I was sitting in the woods, um, I, I thought, you know, there is the perfect graphic for what Paul is talking about in the passage that we are about to read this morning. I decided that uh, I wanted to take the whole rest of chapter 5 this morning uh, as a whole, because so often when I've heard others preach through these verses, I've heard them take them apart, uh, divide the, the deeds of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit or take the fruit of the Spirit and delineate one at a time, or that kind of thing. I thought, you know what? Let's look at the whole forest. Let's see what Paul's major point is here, and let the subpoints fall together for us this morning as we uh, walk through this passage. So, turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. I think I want to begin reading this day uh, on the, in the 16th verse, just so that you get a little bit more of the flow. We're going to be concentrating on verses 19 to 26. I'm not going to ask you to stand, but I am going to ask you to read your Bible, to, to really and truly focus on what the Word is saying here this morning. The Apostle Paul, under the Holy Spirit's inspiration, has penned these words for us, and it is for today. Galatians 5, 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Oh, Holy Spirit, I come this morning and I ask that you would breathe life into the Word of God and into our souls, that it would permeate us, that it would immerse us in a sense of your presence and in a sense of who we are and in a, in a beautiful sense of the grace of jesus christ father i ask you that you would use this few minutes together this morning to talk to us and to meet us where we are that we might love you and that we might serve you with all that we have i ask in jesus name amen so the deeds of the flesh what a what a bunch of fun that looks like right you know, I mean, they describe a fruitless existence, don't they? They are like, whoops, you jumped ahead. Please jump back to the tree. <clears throat> they are like the, the, the life or they're like the death of the tree. You know, they, they're like, they're like that, that stack of sticks that is hanging up in the air and that is, is rotting and that is waiting for the beetles and whatever else to consume it. It's the picture of fruitlessness. It's the picture of barrenness. It's the picture of, of no green leaves, of no life, and actually of danger. You know, I don't know if you watch any of the uh, Alaska um, uh, TV shows or anything like that. We watched those for a while, a couple of years ago. And, and they always called a tree like this one uh, with the big limbs up high. Uh, they always called those big limbs what? Widowmakers, right? Because somebody coming in underneath it, a limb can fall off and uh, you know, crush you and, and uh, damage you and that kind of thing. Deadness, death, that's what, that's what that, that half of the tree looks like. But the contrasting picture, the other side of the coin is a picture of life. Leaves that are green, that are pliable, that, that flutter in the wind, that, that, that catch the breeze, that are fresh, and, and that are doing what God intended the tree to do. Photosynthesis is taking place. They're exchanging, um, uh, filtering carbon dioxide, and, and they're doing everything that a tree does all to the glory of God. Shade in the heat of summer. Cool. A place to, A place for rest and protection growing maturing to the glory of god you see that's the contrast that paul has set up for us here in chapter five the contrast is the absolute difference between life and death paul has has explained already what the 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 mortal enemy uh, to our flesh is it is legalism it is it is trying to to live life by our own efforts it is ignoring the grace of God and what God has done. The flesh and the spirit are, are mortal enemies in a deadly conflict. The passions of our sinful natures are at war with the desires of our regenerate natures. You ever feel that struggle? You ever feel that divided heart? I felt it this week. You know, one of the things that. God mercifully does in my life is as I preach and as I plan and as I pray and and as I study and write uh, sermons and those kind of things is he, he has a habit of filtering that stuff through my own sanctification process and sometimes I see things about myself that make me pretty unhappy make me pretty uncomfortable and I'll tell you this week Has been a real struggle between life and death, between the things of the world, the things of the the flesh, and the things of the spirit, and how to balance those things. The Judaizers in Paul's day, and and they're the reason that Paul has written this letter to the Galatians. They were trying to to trap the Galatian church back into a sense of of doing their good deeds and and living right and earning their way into God's good favor doing enough good stuff, you know? We've talked about that over and over again as we walk through the book. Anyway, the the Judaizers' so-called gospel springs out of their flesh, okay? Uh, the, the drive to, to legalism and to moralism arise from a desire to control God and to control other people so that they can work out the secret, so they can figure out how to, to get God or, or other people to do what we want them to do. That's what the flesh is always seeking to do. Some, on some hand, it's insecurity. On some hand, it's, 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 it's this edgy uh, conscience that we have that's marred by shame uh, the flesh loves to, to make you feel like you're, not, you're more holy and more acceptable to God or others or yourself. And on the other hand, it's about monitoring the lives of other people. It's about controlling. And, and, and control means nothing if you can't get others to dance to your tune and serve your needs and your desires. Paul says that's not the way of the Spirit. The only thing the flesh loves more than controlling others, I think, is having a marionette God. Now, that's a pretty, a pretty graphic illustration, I think, of the flesh. You know, we, we want a God who's moved by the strings of our piety, who's moved by the strings of our passions, of whatever, whatever we want to see happen. The flesh abhors the spirit who is as free as the breeze and outside the control of religiousness. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit, John says. That's why if you're a child of the covenant, you'll find that you're persecuted because of your freedom. Just ask the Apostle Paul about that. He knew what persecution was like, and he knew why it came. You see, Paul left his life of Judaism, his life of earning his righteousness, of being of the tribe of Benjamin, of of being a a pursuer of Christians so that he could put out that godless sect, those blasphemers. He moved from doing his faith and his strength to being a man who was saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. The problem with legalism is is that it denies the all-sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Legalism becomes a force that breaks love and fellowship rather than making us more holy like it promises. Do you realize that? We set up our standards, and when we judge everybody else by our standards, by what we think is right and good, you know, we we make this... Here, law and piety cover over all manner of sin and shameful secrets that we have. We're hypocritical. A lot of times we make up in our hearts and in our value systems a list of things that must be done to be on your good list, to be right, to be be holy, to be proper, to be who you ought to be. And we're good at that. And and then we top that list by things that we are good at. You know, so I make a list of things that a holy person, a a righteous person, uh, ought to do. If they don't do those things, they don't live up to my standards. You know, if they're not a five-point Calvinist, and if they're not reading their Bibles, and if they're not praying, if they're not going to worship, and they're not, and I can make that, you know, I can make that list. Because... Those are the things that I'm good at. And then I can look around and I can say, well, I've got a list here and I'm already calibrated for success. Too bad about the rest of y'all. And look down at folks. That's what we do. We're good at it. We're really good at it. Christian discipleship isn't about striving to gain control. Let that sink in for a minute. It's about continually giving up our control and trusting Jesus Christ. The law relies on my effort, discipleship, trust God to be my father. And there's a whole different contrast going on there. If anyone would come after me, Jesus said, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Luke 9. I used to read that verse, those verses, those two verses, and I used to think, let him deny himself and take up his cross. So that means I've got to deny myself, and I've got to live under this huge burden of this cross, and I've got to do, I've got to do, I've got to That's not what Jesus meant by that. Paul has learned to delight in the fact that he is filled with God's Spirit and that Jesus Christ has redeemed him. And it's changed all of his values. He's gone from death to life. He's gone from the way of the law to the way of grace. So this morning, I think that's the real question that the text begs of us to answer. If you had to live life, you know, I it could ask the simple question: which one, which one would you rather be? Well, duh. That doesn't that doesn't take long. There's a classic painting called "The Two Ways of Life," and um, I don't know if you've ever seen it. If it's was in your art appreciation classes in college or whatever i would have used it on the screen but it has nudity in it and i thought that's probably not appropriate for church uh and and it contrasts the two ways of life a young man is being in the scene in the center of the scene a young man is being advised by an older man and and the older man i hate to say probably has a white beard um anyway and the young man is standing there and all the temptations of the world are laid out before him and then the way of holiness it's a great painting uh, but uh not probably appropriate for worship so i went I, I god gave me the tree illustration i mean you know i'm sitting in a tree stand looking out at this dead half dead tree literally half dead tree you know i'm i'm pretty quick um the contrast how do you want to live well here's the way of the flesh here's what the Holy Spirit has to say about the way of the flesh look at look at what he's, he uses some terminology here that makes us uncomfortable even to, to, to repeat in so many ways Jesus says this in Mark chapter 7 he says it's not what goes into us that defiles us but what comes out oh in other words, it's out of the heart that the works of the flesh flow. So, the deeds of the flesh, Paul speaks of in Galatians five nineteen to 21, come from, in our heart, come from the core of who we are. Our actions aren't just wrong, we are wrong. You get that? It's not just that we do those things, it's that that's who we are. That's what Paul's saying to us in this text. All right. First on the list are the sensual deeds. Look at the list. Look at the scriptures. Let the scriptures speak to your heart. Sexual immorality. Very simply, sex outside of marriage. Impurity. Unnatural vices. Sensuality that means recklessly seeking pleasure of the senses these show our insatiable appetite for bodily pleasure why are we so hungry in those ways why do we want those things what will satisfy that what will satisfying that hunger provide for us love is communicated through the senses right sight touch the voice sound we all want to be loved we want connection we want to be close with another person we want to have that 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 relationship that's deeper than just ideas just just a platonic relationship we want something that's that's satisfying we want our loneliness to be relieved we want our isolation to be ended we want security that's where those things come from The problem is we see those things as ends in themselves. You see, sex inside of marriage is a beautiful thing, and it is not immoral. It is to the glory of God. Physical relationship is a good thing that God created, but that we have corrupted. We think we have the power to define how we're going to use those things, and that makes them destructive. I think it was we, we went out to eat in a restaurant this week, and, and um, it was cold in Virginia, and um, they, they had a fire in the fireplace uh, in the restaurant. And as we were sitting there, uh, I got rather toasty and, and warm, and you know it just there's nothing quite like the feeling of a fire in the fireplace. And then I thought, you know, that is a wonderful sensation. Uh, of of warmth and, and you know the coziness and the feeling and you long for that in your relationships but you let that fire get out of the fireplace and what happens? You burn the house down. The cabin goes up in smoke. The same with these sensual deeds that Paul describes there. Using things, using other people for our ends leaves us standing in a heap of Ashes hear the word of god second group being of the flesh can can lead to religious deeds look at the next group of of words that paul uses here he uses the word idolatry what is idolatry oh we think oh well it's it's bowing down to buddha it's it's worshiping this thing or whatever what is idolatry really it is finding our identity and our security in anything except for God himself. Idolatry. Sorcery. What is sorcery about? Look, there is evil in this world. It is real. Sorcery is tampering with the powers of evil. Now, my translation may be different, uh, using different words, but uh, the root words are all the same. Two things there. And they're both. What the thing behind both of them is power. I was in Washington D.C. flew into Dulles Airport this week, the seat of political power in the United States. Everywhere I looked, there were evidences of the fact that that is a seat of government, and that is the place of power. Even as we were in the woods and I looked across the horizon and there go the high voltage lines that are feeding the uh, the backbone of the internet that is uh, run by the government and run by Amazon and Google and everybody and they have their big places, their big, I don't know, distribution centers, their big hubs right there. Land prices in... Virginia, around the outside of D.C. We were, we were just outside of uh, uh, Washington. We were 15 minutes from Dulles Airport. Land prices in the millions of dollars an acre. Crazy. And it's all for power. All for power. You see, idolatry and sorcery or an attempt to gain for ourselves blessings through our works, replacing our trust in God with self-reliance, with power. For what purpose? To get the blessings we crave. To get the things that we desire. But that's faith gone awry. Martin Luther put it this way. This is a great quote. I put it up on the uh, slide for you. What does it mean to have a God? Or what is God? The answer, a God means that from which we are uh, to expect all good and to which we are to take refuge in all distress so that to have a God is nothing else than to trust and believe him from the whole heart. As I have often said, that the confidence and faith of the heart alone make both God and an idol. It's in the heart. It's out of the heart. Luther says if your faith and trust be right then your then is your god also true and on the other hand if your faith or your trust be false and wrong then you have not the true god for these two belong together faith and god now uh, that now i say upon which you set your heart and put your trust is properly your god The third grouping there in Paul's words, being in the flesh, causes us to wish for evil on other people. Look at the group of words that he uses. Enmity. What does enmity mean? It, it, It means hatred of others. Strife. It means to have a quarrelsome spirit. Jealousy. Uh, jealousy is wrong or misdirected zeal fits of anger or outburst of rage you know we laugh about road rage and that kind of thing rivalries means getting ahead at somebody else's expense basically doesn't it dissensions divisions H- how long have we got I- I- party intrigue you know oh oh well well i'm of this group or, or, or i don't i don't have anything to do with those people you know That kind of thing. Party intrigue. Envy. Unhappiness when somebody else succeeds. Oh my. All those attitudes are are attitudes that violate brotherly love and that that create division in the body of Christ. May it never be said of us. Where do they come from? They all prove a preoccupation with ourselves, with our flesh, with our needs, with our wants, our desires, at somebody else's expense. I'm going to step on you so that I can get ahead somewhere or another. I don't care whether it's your, your ethnic group, your religious group, your social group, your political group, it doesn't matter. We do it all the time. Me and my agenda, that's all that really matters. I mean, and why aren't y'all all all Republicans like I am? Maybe, well, they rip a community apart because they aren't other-centered. That's what's wrong. There's where those attitudes come from. We deny the nature of God, whose nature is love. We don't love one another as we should, like God has loved us fourth group of words drunkenness Paul is not preaching about the uh, against the use of alcohol okay please read my lips alcohol is permissible in the scriptures it is the abuse of alcohol that he's talking about here the particular word that he is using here is has the, the idea behind it the connotation of of getting wasted okay you know what i mean yeah you know what i mean and then the other word he uses is orgies in paul's day the orgies were associated with pagan worship and and it was when the pagan worshipers would work themselves up into a trance-like state and they would view that trance-like state as a sign that the the presence of their gods was with them okay so get that idea into your head. Orgies are, are, are marked by frenzied sexual activity, by drunkenness, by, by a powerfully rhythmic kind of music, by um, hallucinogenically uh, create, fueled visions and that kind of... Drunkenness is losing control. I mean, well, the orgies was a time of drunkenness and sexual activity and frenzy losing control. You know what the picture, when, it, when I got into the Greek, when I began to work with these two words a little bit this week, the picture that popped in my mind are those, those um, nightclubs in New York where the music is just overwhelming and the lights are flashing and people are just writhing uh, on the dance floor and there's no real sense of anything going. That's the picture, I think, of that. That same behavior is still with us today. It's simply a means of, of throwing off restraint. It's, it's being it's being self-indulgent. Um, one of the Puritans said about the list of these four things, these four these four segments of, of the list. The Puritan said this list is a is a mirror to reveal the corruption of our own hearts. Yeah, he's right. Calvin said it this way. I, Who isn't repulsed by the deeds of the flesh, by the way? I mean, when you really think about it, who's not repulsed by that? Calvin says, if we knew ourselves, we would not need this catalog, but such is our uh, innate hypocrisy that we never perceive our foulness until the tree has been made known by its fruits. Ancient philosophers and rabbis were were making lots of lists, like Paul's list here on the deeds of the flesh. They would make these lists, and, and a lot of the lists don't even mesh with what Paul says here. They're other sins, other wickedness, other wicked deeds. But, but they would make these lists to warn people about. They imagined that it was possible to get beyond wrong behavior by educating people and telling them what was wrong. If you just understand what the sin is and what the problems are, then you can fix it was the idea. Isn't it interesting that there's nothing new under the sun? We think if we just educate people, they can fix it. I mean, let's let's pour more money into education and and let's fix the ills of society because we want to create heaven on earth, we want to create a utopia. It doesn't work that way. The Bible is telling us. We hear those lists and we think, "Great! If I don't do those things, then I'm good." You know, I'll know what not to do. I have more power now because I know what to not to do. That's what the Judaizers were trying to do to the Galatians. Okay, that's the big picture. Stepping back from the text, why doesn't education and effort fix us and 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 set our hearts free? Because trying twice as hard again, by our own efforts, returns us to the flesh. (laughs) We move back toward ourselves, and and rather than than moving ahead toward faith. It depends on me and how well I keep the list. This is the naughty list. Now we're going to do the nice list. Santa Claus, no, no, no. That's not what I mean. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Paul's having none of it. Paul says the problem is in education because the flesh can't be instructed to behave except for outward conformity. It has to be destroyed. The flesh cannot be instructed to behave except outwardly. It has to be destroyed. It's opposed to the spirit. It's not merely misinformed. It's not a problem of what we do, it's a problem of who we are. In Paul's theology, being justified, being sanctified, being glorified, are inseparable for being in Christ. Grace transforms us. It is not willpower. It's not our ability to keep the rules. You've already broken them. God knows that you've broken them. God knows that you're going to continue to break them. That you're going to break some new ones. Grace comes to us from being in Christ. You tired of your life the way it is? You tired of your life being hard and difficult? Well, come to Christ. You'll have some new difficulties and some new hard things to deal with, but you'll be set right with God. Grace transforms. All right, let's get to the positive side of the list. So let's get to the good list. Sorry to be so slow to get uh, to this list. Didn't mean to beat you about the head and shoulders too bad this morning. The way of the Spirit. The children of God aren't born out of blood or the will of man. That's, it's, 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 it's God. It's all grace. The yes in grace is also a no to all human strength and to all human definitions of power, okay? Uh, growing in the fruit of the Spirit is relinquishing control. That's a mark of the flesh, control. And it's walking by faith. It's trusting God. That's the mark of the Spirit. Paul had been like a peacock in terms of his Jewishness before he came to Christ. You know, he, was, he would parade out and he, would, he was using the sword to destroy anybody who was following the false Messiah in the Jewish view. His strength was in the flesh, but grace made him weak so that God's power could be evidenced. Think about Peter's experience of grace. From Luke chapter 5, it's on the screen. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, Jesus asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I'll let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. What happened? Why did Peter suddenly understand things? Why why did he go to his knees before Jesus? How could a simple fisherman become a fisherman of men? Have you ever thought about that with the life of Simon Peter? It's not because he polished up his Greek and his Hebrew. It's not because he went to seminary or he got fired up or you know, he went to some retreat and came back excited about his faith. It wasn't one of those things. It's because falling at Jesus' knees, he, eventually, he essentially said, in my very being, I know I'm wrong and I can't fix it. That's who I am. Have mercy, Lord. It's at that point that Peter's connected to the vine. It's at that point that Peter and Jesus have, have, have bonded and he is moving with the Spirit. Only then will the fruit of the Spirit begin to grow in his life. I was singing about that. Grace weakened him so that he could be used of God. As one of the foundation stones of the church, and you know, every time I love Peter because he's such a contrast, and he's so much like me. He's he's got that divided heart that's wrestling with life in this fallen world and nature and everything else. And so Peter walks with Jesus, and he does great things like this, and acknowledges who he is, and then he 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 breaks out. He does stupid stuff all the time, and we look at Peter and we laugh at Peter. And I was thinking about it this week, and I was thinking, every time Peter does something stupid, what's he doing? He's doing something in the flesh. Like, oh, let's just say the Garden of Gethsemane, when he whacks off the soldier's ear. Was that by the spirit or was that by the flesh? What did it get him? How far did it go? Why can't I learn? Why can't I see that in my own life? Because we need a mirror sometimes, I guess. Okay. So here's the main difference between the the first list and the second. One is a list of deeds. The deeds of the flesh are a list of deeds. They're things that we do, works that arise from actions that we will. Works that arise from actions that we will. Okay. The other is a description of fruit works fruit the fruit comes from one source the fruit comes kind of like a cluster of grapes on a vine more than just a uh, my go to the next slide there Jimmy or whoever's up there Caleb sorry (coughs) last year or last year year before last Ligonier's conference used a, a picture of the The basket of fruit and that kind of thing and i stole their their picture i faded it out there uh, so that we could get the type over the text over the top of that but the way of the spirit what's the way of the spirit the way of the spirit is like a group of grapes it's not it's not like bananas and apples and oranges and that kind of thing you know it's not like you say okay well uh in my in my life in my heart in my basket here uh, i've got the fruit of gentleness And I've got the fruit of self-control. And I've got this particular... And it's not like they're unrelated. It's like I've got this cluster of grapes. And this cluster of grapes is gentleness and self-control and and the other fruit of the Spirit that Paul talks about, patience and kindness and goodness and, and gentleness and joy and love and peace. They're all related. So as you walk in the Spirit... You don't carry out the deeds of the flesh. The spirit changes your taste buds. You're increasingly longing for his fruit and begin to hate your fleshly works. So let me take the categories quickly. The first cluster is of three grapes. The cluster of love, joy, and peace. I think think the mark of a true Christian is that his or her chief love is God himself. I think that's that's our deepest peace. That's the security uh, that we have because all of our hostilities with God are over. Love, joy, and peace. First and foremost, oriented toward our Heavenly Father. Love, joy, and peace. Second cluster of fruits. Patience, kindness, and goodness long-suffering toward those who aggravate and persecute, a disposition to bless good words, good actions, attitudes. Those three fruit, I think, have a social orientation. They they belong to a true community, and and they're enabled, as we find our love, joy, and peace in God, we're enabled to have the, the, the second cluster of fruits, if you will, patience kindness and goodness when our lives are contented in christ then patience kindness and goodness flows out of us into others if we love god and love others look at the third cluster what's the third cluster the third cluster the final cluster is faithfulness gentleness and self-control they, they look like reliability, like, like humble meekness, like Christ's meekness. Not being driven on the impulses of the flesh. All those things, as I try to distill them, are like self-mastery. That's a snapshot of a Christian man or woman who's rescued from the drivenness of this world into resting in Christ. If you take it all together... The fruit looks like to me the great commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and or the great and the first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's the life that God's reproducing in us as we become more like Jesus that we might please him and keep his command. Paul says there's no kind of law against that kind of a surrendered life here. As you yield to the Spirit, as you're led as a child of God, God does something in you you can't do. He makes his likeness grow in you. Maybe you don't even see it. Maybe when we prayed a little while ago with thankfulness, in our hearts maybe the thought didn't even occur to you that maybe in the last 12 months god has been making me more like jesus is he doing that you see as god makes you more like jesus then the way of the spirit the the clusters of grapes begin to become evident in your life it's not an exhaustive list y'all It's not the be-all, end-all. It's not like we have this checklist. Please understand, Paul's not giving us checklists on the naughty side or on the nice side. Our fallen natures want to take them that way. What God is doing is, even against the pressure of the flesh, as you trust in the faithful love of the Son of God, He is making us like Jesus. And he's making us rely less on our flesh and trusting only in ourselves. He's, he's leaving us, leading us to follow the Savior. He enables us to roll our cares and our concerns over on him. God takes our humble offering of powerlessness and he turns that into a voluntary subordination to him. He changes our hearts. He changes our lives and our minds. I think resting in Christ cuts the root of our self-sufficiency. And when I find myself in the deeds of the flesh, I find that what I'm doing is trying to be my own God. When I lean on Christ, I don't have to rest in my own strength anymore. The grace of God's all sufficient. His power is made perfect in weakness. Paul said that. Maybe I understand it a little better than I have before. We're not in control. The Spirit is. That's how we're connected to the vine. And that's the only way the fruit ripens. And isn't it cool? God gives us illustrations, concrete illustrations of that all over the place. Maybe in the woods in Virginia, looking at a tree that's half alive and half dead. Maybe it's looking out across the orange grove, seeing that the oranges are green and hard, and they're growing. But it takes time for that fruit to grow and to develop and to become swollen and and full of juice and flavor and sweetness and become ripe and orange and wonderful to cut in half and to take a huge bite out of and let it run down your chin. That's the picture of what God's doing in us, slowly but surely making us more like Jesus. You have a lot to be thankful for this week. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the work of the Spirit, for the work of grace, for the fact that you have called us to be your very own, that you know who we are and you know the fact that we long to be um, like you, but we also easily fall into the flesh. Would you forgive us? Would you help us live day after day, moment by moment, in a life that's completely embraced by your love, that reminds us that we are saved by grace, by resting in Christ alone for our salvation as he's offered in the gospel. Lord, if there's anyone here who knows not the Savior, would you work grace in their heart today? Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.